Hey, Redemption City family. Thanks for tuning in to the Midweek Redemption podcast. This is Drew Penfield bringing you a brief meditation on another spiritual discipline that many of us may consider ourselves to be pretty well versed in, and that's the discipline of fellowship. First, I want to say that I'm really grateful for Pastor Josh and Pastor Mike being big proponents of spiritual disciplines. These age-old practices that are not designed to be burdensome, but rather to be conduits of God's grace in our everyday circumstances. Josh and Mike's advocacy for the development of these disciplines in our lives has been a great encouragement to me. And if you're new to the podcast, there's a gold mine of helpful content relating to spiritual disciplines that can be found here. So, fellowship. It's another F word that tends to make people cringe. Maybe what comes to mind for you is small talk around a dinner table of folks that you don't know quite so well. When you could be at home watching HBO or sorting your sock drawer. If you've reviewed Redemption City's philosophy of ministry on the website, which was recently revamped by our leadership team, biblical family is a core component of the vision for our community. Each week, we have multiple opportunities to gather with one another as a family of believers in Jesus. Whether it's for corporate worship, community groups, DNA groups, or various classes and cohorts, There's no shortage of chances for us to have fellowship with one another, even in this disorienting age of COVID-19. But why do we place so much emphasis on fellowship? What does fellowship mean from a biblical perspective? Are we even engaging in fellowship correctly? For all of these questions, there's wisdom for us in seeing how the first Christians pursued fellowship with one another. The book of Acts shows us in numerous ways that the early church found its commonality in Christ. Jesus was the basis for their fellowship, not mutual interests or hobbies, not nuclear family structures or parenting, not ethnicity or socioeconomic status. The gospel of Jesus created a community like no other, and it was so radical that these Christians shared all of their possessions and resources with one another wherever there was need. Even Jews and Gentiles, who were notoriously hostile and prejudiced toward one another, they became fellow citizens in Christ. As David Mathis points out in his book Habits of Grace, an excellent and practical book about spiritual disciplines, by the way, These early Christians were partaking in fellowship as a partnership in the gospel. They were all giving their everything to advance the gospel, and all of them had been knit together for the purpose of progress and joy in the faith. It was their fellowship in which, as Paul says in Philippians 1-7, you are all partakers with me of grace in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. When we partake in true Christian fellowship, we're partaking in and experiencing the grace of God that both defends and confirms the gospel of Jesus. In other words, we are experiencing God's grace in ways that we cannot 
when we are separated and isolated from one another. In true fellowship, relationships grow stronger. Love for each other grows deeper. And through engaging in true fellowship, our love for one another naturally radiates outward to the lost as well. That's because the basis of our relationship with fellow believers in Jesus, what forms our connectedness, it's the same message of salvation that the world is longing to hear. Jesus even tells us this in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Does the love for one another in our fellowship give evidence of the gospel to the world around us? Or are we just a bunch of generally nice people that semi-reluctantly hang out with each other once or twice a week? When the topic of fellowship is discussed within the church, one of the foundational passages that is often referenced is Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And that says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This passage does not merely instruct Christians to meet together, but to give consideration as to how we can best stir up one another to love others and to do good works. But how can we consider and understand the circumstances, life challenges, and unique giftings that a person has, apart from taking the time to get to know them on an intimate level? And how can we develop intimacy with other Christians if we're frequently foregoing or avoiding time spent in fellowship? Another fellowship passage that we need to take into account is Hebrews three twelve through 13 Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We see here that the charge in this passage doesn't land on the drifting saint, but on his or her community. When we wander, when sin looks more appealing than the path of life, fellowship with a community of believers that knows us and is acutely aware of our situation, that functions as a mediation of God's grace in our lives. This does not happen in isolation. In his book, Life Together, another fantastic resource on the spiritual discipline of fellowship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, The brother is a burden to the Christian, precisely because he is a Christian. For the pagan, the other person never becomes a burden at all. He simply sidesteps every burden that others may impose upon him. Friends, have we immersed ourselves in Christian fellowship to the extent that we are familiar with each other's baggage? To the extent that we are warring with each other and for each other against our sin. If you're an introvert like me, solitude is something that is often welcomed and relished. And if you're also someone like me who has grappled with spiritual depression, someone who is still learning 
how to resist living a life frequently dominated by emotion. You already know how awful fellowship can sound when you're feeling low or despondent. I've truly come to find that in the times when I most want to isolate myself, that's when I need fellowship the most. That's when I need my introspection and self-preoccupation to just be switched off. And that happens through being in the presence of brothers and sisters who can remind me that I'm okay, that my contributions to a community are meaningful, that how I am feeling does not define who I am. I've never walked away from a Sunday gathering or a community group or a DNA group thinking, well, that was a waste of time. As David Mathis again says, it is not only God's word and prayer that are the means of his ongoing grace, but true fellowship among those who have in common the one who is grace incarnate. The grace of God cannot be quarantined to individuals. The healthy Christian, introverted or not, of whatever temperament, in whatever season, seeks not to minimize relationships with his fellows in Christ, but maximize them. God has given each of us, each other, in the church, not just for company and co-belligerency, not just to chase away loneliness and lethargy, but to be to each other an indispensable means of his divine favor. We are for each other an essential element of the good work God has begun in us and promises to bring to completion. Such is true fellowship. Redemption City family, the spiritual discipline of fellowship is a challenge to me as it is to you. Our vision for a biblical family is truly realized as we seek to partner in the gospel, stir one another up toward love and good works, and to spur one another on toward holiness and godliness. The world will see that and want in on it. We can't do it alone, and God in his providence has given us each other. Imagine what he can do as we fully lean into the grace of fellowship together. Let's get after it.